You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, friends, as with any, as rather, as with many words, as with many words in the English language, the word stress is used in a very casual way on many instances. You know, we talk about stress in all kinds of ways. And we mean different things. And I was reminded of this a number of years ago when I was listening to a comedian who was picking up on this very point. And he was recalling a time when he had seen a golf tournament on television. And Greg Norman was on the 18th green. And he had a 10 metre putt to sink to clinch the championship. And the commentator said something like, oh, this is a stressful moment for Greg Norman. Can, can you imagine? You know, the whispering, you know, can you imagine? stress that this guy's experiencing right now it'd be amazing and the comedian said stress he said that's not stress he said you're on a golf course for goodness sake there's beautiful trees everywhere the birds are singing there are beautiful lawns that's not stress he said stress is being in the customs lineup at Bangkok airport <laughs> and the lining of the bag you're carrying is stuffed with is stuffed full of illicit drugs And there's a sniffer dog, two people ahead, and already he's wagging his tail. He said, that's stress. And it was just a, he was right, you know, (laughs) that's real stress. I wasn't thinking out of personal experience, by the way. I was just just recalling what this comedian said. Uh, You know, we may sometimes say, well, look, I'm worried that this, this outfit may not be appropriate for this occasion. And we say, I worry. I'm worried that what happened at work this week may mean the end of my career. Same word. Two very, very different scenarios. But friends, while our usage of the word stress and worry may be, may be used to cover a diverse range of, of situations, one thing is sure. We all suffer from stress at one time or another. We all get caught up in, in this uh, emotional condition, some more than others. Some people live in an almost permanent state of worry, and anxiety, and it's reflected in the way they talk. It's reflected in the way they act, in the way they relate to people. They're always on edge, always pessimistic, always uptight and intense. Now, of course, the link between stress and our health is well-researched and well-documented. I mean, in this country alone, we spend billions of dollars every year uh, in, in health issues because of the stress that, that we all experience. And of course, some medical experts put the percentage, when, when they try to attribute the number of people in our hospitals, in our healthcare systems, whose condition can be attributed to stress, some medical experts put it as high as 70%. 70% of all medical conditions, in the eyes of some experts, can be attributed to stress. Meanwhile, The Christian faith is by no means silent on this issue. No way. The Christian faith has much to say about stress, which shows you very little has changed. The Bible is full of many references to worry and stress right back in the Old Testament. And certainly, of course, words like the ones today read to us by Anne Robinson earlier from from the mouth of our own of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He says this do not worry about tomorrow. It will have enough worries of its own. There is no need to add to the trouble each day brings. Now, of course, people look at a verse like that 
And their natural reaction is to say, well, hello, how realistic is that? I mean, how realistic is that? And if Jesus was here in person, physically, we might be inclined to say, well, well look, Jesus, what would you know about worry? I mean, you never, you never had a mortgage. Uh, you never had to put kids through private school. You never had to worry about a retirement plan because you didn't sort of hang around for that long. You didn't have to worry about health concerns because like you were the son of God and you, know, you had all these powers. None of these things were issues for you. You didn't have teenage kids. None of these things were issues for you and yet you blithely say, oh, don't worry. It's going to be okay. And that, that sort of, we all kind of wince at that, don't we? I mean, that sort of comment, when we, when we share a deep problem with somebody, right, in a moment of vulnerability, and the best they can say is, don't worry, it'll be fine. When you know that it just may not be fine, that's not a very appropriate response. We've all felt those moments when we think, gee, you know, I thought it was, I was hoping for a bit more than that. By the way, a more appropriate response, something that takes you beyond that sort of superficial, don't worry, is something like, well, how can I help? Um, Who do you know who could really bring some practical help to your problem more than I could? How, How are you? How are you personally? How are you coping with this? Can I pray? Can we pray? You know, there's got to be other ways of responding when people tell us about some really deep problem. Of course, as with all passages of Scripture, this one has to be looked at very, very carefully. It has to be probed and has to have its real meaning revealed through some careful study. You see, Jesus says, don't worry. He doesn't say, don't be concerned. He doesn't say, don't plan. He doesn't say, make, don't make appropriate preparations. Our Lord was much more aware of the pressures and the practicalities of life to be so carefree and so cavalier as to say, oh, don't worry, it's going to be all okay. He was too smart for that. You see, worry is a static emotion. It's a static emotion. It's a futile exercise. It doesn't take us anywhere. It doesn't solve anything. Oh, you might be very active in the midst of worry. You might be doing all kinds of things, tearing your hair out and biting your nails, but it's a, it's, a, it's a static emotion. It doesn't take us forward anywhere. Whereas concern is a far more proactive word. Concern is, is much more action. If I'm concerned about something, then I'm more inclined to take action, more inclined to do something about the issue that I'm facing. But if I'm constantly worried about something, if I'm thinking about it, mulling over it, losing sleep over it, I'm like a rabbit who's caught in the glare of the spotlight, stunned and, and, and going nowhere. Is that not true? I mean, that's the, that's the debilitating effect of worry. So friends, our quest in life is to reduce the level of stress. Of course, you never eradicate it. Not, not, not while you're alive, not while you're breathing. In fact, some stress, if we had time to elaborate, some stress is, is actually good for us, you know, because we, we don't grow, we don't develop, we don't reach our capacity without responding to some stress, stressful situations like exams and various tests and various challenges. That's when we, if we can move through those stressful situations, we become more confident, we become who God intends us to be. But our quest in life in this area of debilitating stress is to reduce that level and to learn to better manage 
the stress which will inevitably part of, inevitably be part of our life. You, you can't escape a certain level of stress. Now, there's no shortage of motivational factors in this. Yeah, no shortage of motivational factors to help us get on top of stress. There's the medical profession who are constantly telling us to watch the effects of stress and to realise that they can be quite harmful. Uh, then there's the, uh, the, the we have built-in indicators within our own makeup that tell us when we're pushing it too hard. Things like headaches, things like lethargy, things like uh, irritability, depression in some cases, just to name a few. These are like built-in warnings that, that are just part of our nature when we know we're, 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 we're pushing too hard. But friends, you know as Christians, our greatest source of motivation in this area of managing and reducing stress is not medical, it's not uh, psychological, it's not educational, it's not philosophical, it's spiritual. That's our greatest source of motivation because we're not designed to be permanently in a state of stress. On this very point, I have a quote. I love this quote. It's been part of my life for many years. I believe it to be one of the most evocative, one of the most insightful, one of the most powerful quotes on stress I have ever seen. If you were listening to 103.2 recently, I used it in one of my 60-second spots. It's from Dr. E. Stanley Jones. Dr. E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist minister from Baltimore in Maryland in the United States. He died in 1973. And he had spent much of his life working among the uh, poor and impoverished people of India. In fact, he died in India in 1973. And this is what Dr. E. Stanley Jones said at one point during his ministry. And let's just drink this in. Look at this. We are inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Fear is not our native land. Faith is. We are so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. You imagine a situation with, even if you're not mechanical, you know, you think of cogs, you think of pistons all working smoothly, and you, you come along, you pour a whole bunch of sand in there. Not how it's meant to be. I, I can't resist telling an incident involving sand. My, my first car was a, an FJ Holden, as it was for many in my generation, an FJ Holden. It was a great car, beautifully resprayed, had a white steering wheel, beautiful uh, redone seats, chrome wheels, beautiful. The only thing I wanted from that car was I wanted it lower. I wanted it to be really low so I could be cool up against the door, you know, driving through Hay Street in Perth uh, as a young uh, 18-year-old. And my dad said, no, no, Graham, that will put you into the Hoon Brigade. And I want you to be a hoon. I want you to drive responsibly. So we're going to keep the FJ Holden. You know there's FJ Holden. It's so high at the back. Now, living in Perth, what does Perth have an abundance of? Sand. Whole city's built on sand. So uh, I didn't have to go very far. Armed with a sugar bag. Shovel. Bunch of sand. Got a couple of mates. We kind of lifted that thing. Into the boot. Beautiful. Got that. Got that FJ. Just where the girl, just, just where I... Uh, just where I could really appreciate uh, its look in a whole new way. And this, people don't believe me when I say this. My very first night out, I was going down to South Perth to see some friends. And we had a little, sort of little, um, almost a little, uh, what would you say? A, a kind of a, a, an official little farewell. You know, mum and dad out in the front and, you know, waving Graham off as he goes down the road in, in this FJ. And Dad probably thinking, gee, you know, let's get those springs checked. Looking a little lower than I last saw it. 
And uh, you can probably guess what happened. I had, it was a wet night, and I was stopped at an intersection, and a guy slammed into the back of me, pushed my head through the steering wheel, and the thing's out of control. It was a pretty bad accident, one of the, one of the worst I've been in. Fortunately, managed to escape okay. And then the new, Dad took it to the panel beater next to his work in Victoria Park. And the word came back. The guy said, uh, tell, you, tell your son we, we can fix the back of the car, but ask him a question. Who was the idiot who put that bag of sand in the boot? Because we've got sand all through the brakes. We've got sand all through the, the diff and all the everything covered in We're going to take a long while to get rid of that sand. You know, E. Stanley Jones went on with another comment. It's still as part of this quote. Look at this. He says, in anxiety and worry, our being is gasping for breath. These are not our native air. These are not our our native air. But in faith and confidence, we breathe freely. These are our native air. Wow. There's a man with great insight. And basically he's saying the way we're designed, we're not designed to be in that sort of stressful situation where it's just debilitating and robbing us of, of energy and strength and, and robbing us of our capacity. That's not how we are designed. And friends, I've thought about these words many times and they arouse in me a picture, of suff- a picture of someone suffering from emphysema or something similar, you know, where they're gasping for breath and then the emotional equivalent of that disease, the emotional equivalent where a person is gripped by fear and anxiety and they're unable to function with the poise and the determination necessary to move through life with confidence. They're sort of like just grasping to try to get out of this this. Abyss of worry and stress that's holding them back. It's a, it's, a frightening, it's a frightening scene. But it's one thing to understand the reasons why we should manage stress. We, 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 probably, we all know those pretty well. It's quite another to, to convert awareness into practical strategies. It's quite another. Yeah, you can be aware of it. Yeah, I've got, to, I've got to get on top of this stress. I've got, to, I've got to reduce this stress. My doctor says so. Now Graham Agnew is saying so. And then Jesus says so. It's one thing to be aware of it. But, but what are the strategies needed? To lower stress. And that's in the closing moments this morning, friends. I want to provide you with several practical strategies, and they all revolve around the power of choice. (laughs) The power of choice. I believe that next to Jesus Himself, the greatest gift God has given us is the ability to choose. You've heard me say that before, some of you have been around for a while. Next to Jesus, the greatest gift God has given us is the power to choose right from wrong. Light from darkness. His will, our will. The power to choose. It's it's a phenomenal power that we've been given by God. If if we if we'd been designed in some sort of robotic way by God, with Him fully controlling our our every movement, it would not have been necessary to send Jesus. You know that, because salvation would have been a matter of, of compulsion and predetermination. Whereas it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice. And that's with apologies to people who may be really hung up on predestination. Uh, it, my theology tells me it's a matter of choice. And so Jesus would not have had to come if we were some sort of, uh, in, in some kind of robotic Situation, but the fact is, we have choice, and that's why Jesus had to come to show us the way, and we embrace Him by choice. We get to choose. God doesn't force His way into any of our lives. 
And now here's the first choice we have to make. Choose the things you allow to worry and frustrate you. Choose the things you allow to worry and frustrate you. Now I said I said it the second time because I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, wait a minute, Graham. Wait a minute. Yeah. How do you make that kind of choice? I mean, we don't choose the things that happen to us. We don't choose those crazy drivers who cut us off. We don't choose those times when an irate customer rings and blows our head off and gets us all stressed out. We don't choose the appearance of the parking cop just as we come round the corner and he's closed his book and we're, you know, and you spoils your whole day. Like, we don't choose those times. So how can you choose the things that, that worry and stress you out? Well, here's the thing. We do get to choose. We, we don't get to choose those moments I've just listed. They just, that's just life. They happen. But we do, by his grace, get to choose what happens next. That's what I'm talking about. We get to choose what happens next. Let's go back to that guy who cuts you off. You know, Here's a guy and he, you're driving along, minding your own business. Somebody cuts you off and you put the brakes on, you swerve, almost go up into the median strip. Now, look, even among the most peaceful of us, there's no way of controlling that initial reaction, that surge of, you know, that, what the heck was that? You know, I'm not advocating, oh, oh, peace, brother, you know, I'll be old one day, I guess, you know. Like, I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, like there's that initial surge of, mm, what was that? But here's the thing. If we then choose to start moving through the traffic and we're going to get this guy at the next set of lights, buddy, are you, what are you doing? Are you crazy? That's not him. That's us. If we get to work and somebody says, hi, how you doing? Ah, oh, don't talk to me. Some crazy guy cut me off. Why do they even give licenses to guys over 60? <laughs> Make that over 70. Uh, you know, why? Now, guys, this is, this, is, this is beyond this guy, whoever it was, who cut you off. This is way beyond him. You've got nothing to do with this. This is us. This is you. This is me. We're choosing to let this thing persist. That, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Now, this requires... A conscious, prayerful decision in which we keep the list of things that drive us nuts. We keep it short. Like things will drive you nuts. There's no doubt about that. You've just got to keep that list short. One thing I refuse to worry about is anything which is beyond my immediate control. Just, just will not worry about that. Will not worry about anything beyond my immediate control. That includes a traffic jam. What are you going to do? Going to get out, start directing or, you know, giving instructions. Um, delays at airports. What do you want to do? Get on the microphone and, you know, sort of like a friend or a loved one who is absent from my physical presence. Like, I don't know what's going on. I, I, if I try to visualize and like I got through parenting two teenage kids with Saturday night being the night I had to have a good sleep in readiness for Sunday. Slept like a baby the whole time. Said to Bevy, look, you know, darling, if, we, if something goes wrong, they've got ID, we'll get a phone call. That's when we'll start getting, you know. But like until then, unless you're going to ring around and check up, which you, which you can, of course. I'm going to come to that in a minute. But a medical or a dental procedure, once you've got the date locked in, like you can choose to not go. And when you're there and you've got your mouth open, what are you going to do? I, I, hang on, just don't. You know, I mean, he, he's the one who's in control, he or she, you know. Anything I don't have direct control over, I will not give any time to worry. Now, guys, of course, you can be concerned about these things. 
Of course you can. And you can take action. You can ring up. You can avoid, you can listen to the radio and avoid a traffic jam. You can be concerned, but why worry if you can't control or influence it? Here's the second thing, choose to analyse. Choose to analyse. By that I mean, have a good look at what it is that's causing you to be stressed. Get the facts. Don't assume. Ask questions. I shared with the Connect group during the week, and I may have shared it with some of you in in another setting, that one of the most incredibly bad examples I ever heard about of somebody who wasn't prepared to get the facts was a friend of my parents who lived in Melbourne uh, back when I was there before living with them before I went to college and his wife noticed over a period of several days that during the night he was ripping buttons from his pajama tops he was having massive massive heart pains so intense that he was ripping and clutching at his chest and, and, and ripping buttons off. Like, because he didn't want to go to the doctor for fear of what the doctor might tell him. Chose to just lie for a few nights and eventually was taken by hospital, uh, by ambulance to hospital. Had to, had to kind of get the treatment. And asking questions like, you know, what is the worst that can happen? How can I prepare for the worst? How can I improve on the worst? I urge people in my Dale Carnegie classes to have a, a pad on their bench, on their bedside table. If you're the kind of person who lies awake worrying about things, just get some answers to questions like these about the things you're worrying. What is the worst that can happen? Gosh, that lump I'm feeling right there, that it could be cancer. Wow. How can I, how can I face the worst? Well, I better get along and get that checked out. Better get the facts on that. How can I improve on the worst? Well, if it, if it was that, if it is that... I've got heaps of people I know who can help me to find out more, help me to cope. I've got my church family. They'll be praying. They'll be, that'll usher me into a whole new arena of care. Like, you know, you just got to just go through those questions. No guarantees, but it can get you off to sleep in the absence of any other formula. And of course, often we just don't define the problem correctly. So that introduces another four questions. What is the problem? Not just what we think it is. Let's write it down. What is the problem? What are the causes of the problem? What are the Possible solutions. I urge married couples to do this. You know, when you've got some major thing that's causing you, get out, have some coffee, sit down, relax, and go through these four questions. What is the problem? What are the what are the causes of the problem? What are the possible solutions? What is the best possible solution? It's just it's practical. You know, you just, and in the absence of any other formula, it can get you focused on what you've got to do to move forward in that proactive sense. Friends, this is where proactive, proactivity comes in. Of course, this is what it means to be concerned. To take action rather than just worrying and, uh, and going into a static emotion. There have been times in my life over the years when uh, these questions have been gold, particularly when we're building this, uh, this complex you know, over a six-year period, six years from when we signed the contract to when we turned the key or swiped the pass. You know, uh, Six years. There were a lot of moments when these questions really came into their own. Here's another choice. Choose to cooperate with the inevitable. Now, on the surface of this, it may appear to be very defeatist, right? It may appear to be like throwing in the towel. It may appear to be resigning ourselves to the dreaded outcome. Just cooperate with the inevitable. No, no, no. That's not what I'm referring to. Cooperating with the inevitable is foregoing our fierce resistance to something that is clearly going to take place. Because to continue with fierce resistance or defiant stubbornness 
or maybe just head in the sand ignorance. To continue in that way is just going to add to your worry and your stress. This is the step you take, and this is, you know, this is the, many would say, the, the ultimate step. This is the step you take when you've had the pre-med and you're waiting for the operation. What are you going to do? Do a runner in a surgical gown with no back? That, people don't like that. <laughs> okay, it's going to happen. We've had prayer, we've told my wife I love her, but we're just going to cooperate with inevitable. No, that's not the time for <laughs> It's going to happen. Your son, your daughter is in a car or they're getting on a plane or they're getting on a train. They're leaving home to start a new life in a new city. What are you going to do? Like physically restrain them? Like stop them from going? No, you can't go. I know mothers do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's another... The ambulance has arrived and is taking your loved one to the emergency section of the nearby hospital. It is happening right there. It's it's happening. A teenage daughter, unmarried, advises she's pregnant. This happened. Yeah, it's not the time for going crazy. How did this happen? Hello, you know. Uh, The big boss comes down and announces that your section is the one that's being wound up and you've got a couple of weeks notice it's happening right there now friends look these are all situations where becoming stressed and going into a state of panic are options and and you can understand that in in many of those situations but the preferred option is to realize it's too late for that it's now time for clear thinking it's time for considered action it's time to get that concern coming into effect It's certainly time for prayer. It's always time for prayer. It's always time for prayer. Now, there's a fourth and final choice to make to control our stress. And here it is. Choose above all else to be concerned about what he requires of you and me. And of course, I'm picking up on the words of verse 33 of today's reading, where Jesus tells us emphatically to stop worrying. And he says in verse 33, Instead, be concerned about everything else with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you. And he will provide you with all these other things. Friends, at the heart of stress management for Christians, (laughs) in both practical and the spiritual sense, is being right with God. That's at the heart of stress management. Being right with God, abiding in him, staying close to him, reading his word, praying. Surrendering, hanging out with Christians, being involved in a connection group where there's accountability and vulnerability. That's always at the heart. I mean, these are practical steps, but when you're energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit to put these into action, you've got an advantage. Before we close, I want to give God's word yet another chance to speak to us. You believe this morning God's word can speak in a powerful way? Surely can. We could have stood here, I could have just stood here for 20 minutes reading our passages. Probably would have had more effect than the message. His word speaks. It's very powerful. You know there's power in the spoken word of God. Look at this from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. You know it well. Don't worry about anything. But in all your prayers, ask God for what you need. Not necessarily what you want. Lord, I need you to give me the strength to face what I know is going to be a painful experience. But I'm going to face it with you. And God's peace... Oh, sorry. 
uh, always asking him with a thankful heart. And God's peace, which is far beyond human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with Christ Jesus. We are inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. It is in faith and confidence that we breathe easily. That's how we're designed. Let that breath, draw on that breath, that Holy Spirit breath, and allow it to permeate some of the things you are anxious about today. Some of the issues you are worried about today. Breathe that native air. That's our natural environment in him. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?